we're going to put music there or we're going to go straight in? We don't put music there, do we? No, we always do with a cold open. <laughs> but I guess the cold open has now just become a say we always do a cold open. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to The Film File, the first of 2020 so this is episode 10 i know it's episode 10 because we've just spent 10 minutes debating which episode it is this is the film show for film geeks by film geeks my name's lee ford i'm joined as ever by andy meekin and uh, Scotty Boy. So you're almost like the special guest star, aren't you? I, I am, and, and, and I'm one of those people who don't like to chuck full names out there. I don't know why. I don't know why I imagine cares. But like, then I always feel like, why am I just saying Scott? I'm not Madonna. Yeah, unless you want to be. You I can, can be, be Madonna. Madonna. You can be whoever you want to be, Scott. Which era Madonna would have either? I might have some cones in the cupboard if I you want. Well, the fact that he's got cones. <laughs> yeah. I like to think Frozen era. Do you know that, like, 90s comeback? All right, okay. Yeah. So, have we have a good Christmas? Yeah, it's... Uh, seems ages ago, doesn't it? It does seem a while. I mean, we, we almost last recorded almost a month ago. We did... Uh, it was just after Star Wars came out, because it was literally was the, the day after Christmas. Star Wars. Yeah. It was about the 19th or something, yeah. wasn't it? It was yeah. just, just the week. And we also had our um, bonus yeah. Christmas show that a good we job on that one, put together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good job on the bonus show. Uh, you can catch all the bonus shows, as you can catch this, across all your favourite podcast platforms. Yep. I particularly have a tendency to listen on iTunes. I'm Spotify personally. I tend to be Spotify. Yeah. Ah, you see? We even listen to ourselves. We love ourselves so much. Yeah. And we encourage you, listeners in 2020, to, uh, to listen and to recommend to your friends because it is the perfect resolution to any new year. Start it with the film file. Any New Year's resolutions before we start? I don't really subscribe to that because I feel like you can make a positive change on any given day with enough determination. And also... I would give it up in about two days. <laughs> More to so point. determination is your resolution <laughs> yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. Andy, anything? My only plan for 2020 is when I look back on the amount of films that I watched last year, it was severely underwhelming compared to um, what I'd seen on previous years. I had a bit of a duff year for catching films when they were out. And then when they came onto home streaming, I then just didn't get around to watching them. I've so this year, you. I want to A, play catch up on all the films that I've missed. I'm fighting with my family is now on Netflix and it's I've been recommended that, that by so many. Really yeah. Whilst also getting to see a lot more when they release on the big screen. Normally, I'd be like hundreds of films each year, but I don't think I've even tapped a hundred. No, year, I, I think it's one bad. of my, my worst years for the films that I've seen. I would always, always be up to date and and even doing this job and doing doing the BBC job, I'm severely behind. Partly with the BBC now, they just want the blockbusters. Mm. So gone are the days when I would go in weekly and talk. I go in every couple of weeks now. They just want to talk about the blockbusters. But I'm missing things and, and I'm determined to to catch those. Films like The Lighthouse that's coming out in the mm. next couple of weeks. They yeah. need to catch that. But our film review this week, I would say, is is much more of a, uh, a smaller film. Yeah, smaller film that's doing good business. Uh, we'll get more on that later when we get to it. And here's the news. So, here we are. It's 2020, and you know what I'm going to start with. After I said last time around did say it. that it was the final you word on the matter, it. and we weren't going to touch on this again, it's still going. We're into another year, and, and still, the Scorsese versus films debate is going on. I don't know whether you're aware that there's been a THR oh. roundtable discussion. I, I was. I was about to say, was, was it the THR roundtable? Yeah, that was um, with Todd Phillips, uh, Scorsese, and I can't remember who else was there at this point in time. But I need to get to watch the whole thing. But there's been clips of it released online. And one of them is him clarifying exactly what we said from day one on this whole story. 
when it was announced that he dismissed Marvel films and all the DCU Snyder Cut fanboys were going, yeah, he'd love Snyder's films because they're not Marvel. He doesn't know the difference between them. In his words, he said superhero films. I never, I don't even know Marvel. I remember Marvel was a comic book. That's why he called it Marvel, because he sees them all as the same thing. However, he then went on to nicely try to explain his reasoning behind it. And he's not being dismissive or derivative or like really condescending about the films because he sees them as they are an establishment. They're important parts of the culture. As he put, he remembers when Disneyland was built. He's that ancient. One of the aspirations of the studios back then was to become as important, in a sense, to American culture as Disneyland. And that's what superhero films have become. So he says they have an importance. They're still just not his cup of tea. And they're That's not with what he would go and seek out. That, I promise, is our last word on this subject. Which is almost verbatim of how we've approached this particular subject. Yeah. And it has run and run. And, and, and hopefully, hopefully this is it. It's not going to run any further. And as, as you said just before we started recording, how dare he have an opinion? How <laughs> dare he? And it contradicts mine. <laughs> it's, it's, What's it's, the world coming to? It's just been sad that like too many of the gatekeeping fanboy cultures... We're using it as part of the ammo against the other fanboy culture throughout this whole thing without understanding exactly where Scorsese was coming from because the DC versus Marvel fanboyisms out there is ridiculous. Is it still as bad? I, I stopped looking at message pages. I One of my favourite sites is uh, uh, comic book movies. I think it's pretty up to date. It's got a, a, a it's got an interesting way of putting presenting its news. Sometimes it's based on opinion as opposed to news. But I looked at, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, the um, the news for New Mutants, the promo landed this week, and I know we've been to mention it as part of our news, but I'll do it now. I thought the re- the reviews were soporific at best. Mm. I thought the, the, the message board, clearly some of those fans had never read Chris Claremont and Bill Sinkovich's run on it because they just didn't get it. They were more interested in attacking Fox who they seem to forget now is owned by Disney and that Kevin Feige is now the head of all things Marvel. And they'd used it as a, as a slamming board to say, oh, well, Fox is going to screw this movie up again. Noting the fact that Josh Boone as the director has now released on Twitter his statement that this is the cut he always intended. Yep. And Kevin Feige clearly is behind it as he's now behind the other news, uh, Deadpool 3 has been announced. Yep. So this this fanboy thing is is destroying, in my opinion. It's, and it's all. I mean, there's always be rivalry. That's that's okay. There was when I was a kid. I'll always prefer Marvel to DC, but you can uh, still the, enjoy. I, I do don't, doesn't mean the most of the most of the issues now I subscribe to are DC. Strangely enough, I, you know, I'm a, I go comicsology, which I think is fantastic. But most of the, the most of the subscriptions are to DC. But I'm a Marvel fan. I'll always be my favorite character, though. I, I make no difference. If they're great written books, they're great written books. Exactly. Um, it's 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 its core base. It's silly boys in basements. Yep. With too much time on their hands and opinions. It, well, it's, there's it, there's difference between fans and supporters, isn't there? There's no yeah. support there. They're just trying to drag other things down to I don't know some weird tribalistic part of their brain thinks it all matters and they've picked the right horse. Like they've got any contribution to it, but that's better or greater than anyone else. Yeah, just enjoy stuff. Yeah, I'm, boy, be I'm, critical. I'm, I like Batman. If they do a Batman film that deserves critiquing, we can, I can critique it as yeah. well. It doesn't mean I'm less of a Batman fan. No, I mean go if some, everyone hates something and you like it, 
like it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, Far, have you have an opinion? Absolutely. You know, we have your favorite characters. Have your favorite, you know, your, your favorite publisher. It makes better discussion. Just accept people disagree, and then you move on, and then you don't let it affect you while you watch the film. And yeah, that's the beginning and end of it, isn't it? Like, absolutely. Shall I mean, we move on? I mean, well, drawing on the New Mutants like story because you briefly mentioned it and you've said that Josh Boone has said that this is the film that he originally envisioned, which means that all those reshoots and changes to the script that Fox had like instigated to which put it into this long delay have now been ditched and we've gone back to square one, which kind of makes sense because remember Disney a couple of months ago, they looked at it and went, this isn't releasable in this format. And that was the bodge job. And I've got a magazine suspicion it was one of those um, Fantastic Four yeah, systems yeah. where they tweaked it and messed with it behind Josh Boone's back. But Disney then turned around and gone, what did you originally have? This is what I had. We want that instead. And they trusted the director, who clearly has a, has a passion for it, because looking at the trailer, it, it, it's a standalone X film, or mutant yeah. film, but I think it could be a great lead into whatever Marvel are going to do. And as, as I've just said, Kevin Feige's all over this now. Yeah. He's not going to let anything go out with the Marvel brand on it. Okay, it's not going to be a Marvel Universe film, because it's oh it's going to go in out on Fox, oh, yeah. but it's 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 coming from that vision and and they've trusted it. I think it looks like it's a great trailer. It, it's more free now. It's not got some slightly failing world to service over at Fox. It's a film that was made that can just be released in of itself. Everyone knows the context of it. It could be a Joker of the Marvel movies, That's basically, yeah. a standalone story of a different tone. Which we're saying around that time, more of that needs to happen. They don't all have to service some greater good continuity just get some cool interest inside that's what comics are every comic's leading into the next tie-in yeah sometimes it's individual cool stories about yeah. characters and in answer to all the fans who've been saying oh it's been, it's been dropped down to a pg-13 it was supposed to be r-rated josh boone himself has tweeted out it was never going to be anything more than a pg-13 that's the film that he was making yeah so it shot down all the naysayers who have been trying to say that Disney have been corrupting this and like sanitizing it and weakening it. None of the mess with the delay on this film was anything to do with Disney. It was all because of Fox. Yeah, and they wanted to tie it into the to the greater Marvel, uh, greater X universe. And Simon Kinberg was was the gatekeeper on that eventually. And we know what happened with with Dark Phoenix. Looking forward to it. It looks great, uh, and for me, it captures the spirit of of the Claremont Sinkovich. Shall we stick with Marvel and talk about oh, uh, the news of Scott Derrickson? Well, interestingly enough, uh, Scott Derrickson is off of Doctor Strange, uh, or Doctor Strange, um, the sequel. He did the original film. I like Scott Derrickson's work. It's a bit hit and miss. But interestingly enough, who I would think as a now, as a as a replacement for that, would be Josh Boone. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think he's got the horror chops and he's doing the TV adaptation of The Stand. Clearly a visual filmmaker could be a great replacement if New Mutants does well as well to Scott Derrickson. I mean, uh, Derrickson's stated and Disney Stroke Marvel have both stated that the split was amicable and it's due to creative differences, which on Twitter, obviously, again, the gatekeepers are all like, oh, it's because they don't want it to be a horror. They're going to make it a kiddified film. And it's like creative differences doesn't necessarily mean the whole, you know, were they expecting a blood and guts horror movie out of a Doctor Strange thing? No, it could that? be anything. No, we don't want that. It's not Doctor no, Strange. Does anyone it? want that? Last time we had a director, writer-director leaving a Marvel project for creative differences was Ant-Man. Yeah. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Um, and Josh that ends, Whedon. Yeah, Josh Whedon. The guy who did 4-2, either. 
Yep. Yeah, <laughs> the one we never talk about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you look at it and you go, well, was Ant-Man a bad film? Mm. No, it actually played quite nicely and it, and it didn't follow the traditional Marvel formula. It did to a degree, but it had a different vibe to it. It was a heist movie. Yeah. So everyone's saying, oh, it's, they just want to make it a typical Marvel film. Not necessarily. Maybe, just maybe, he was going down a route that would have contradicted where their plans are for the next phase. And it would have caused continuity problems because I've spoken to Scott about this earlier on. Iron Man 3, I love that film. Yeah, me too. But it doesn't fit in the continuity for Tony Stark because he goes through a whole emotional, like, post-traumatic experience journey to get to the end of that film and realise that, hey, he doesn't need all these suits and, like, he, yeah, he can get over all the, like, trauma. Only for the start of Age of Ultron, he's back to square one with hundreds of suits again and going through post-traumatic stress. And building AI robots to protect the world from his own paranoia. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe the whole I, the whole creative differences is that it would cause some continuity issues with where they see other characters who are going to arc over into it going ahead, and he couldn't work out how to get it through. We don't know until until we see the original script, which, which we'll, we'll never, never see. <laughs> yeah, you know, we won't know what creative difference led to it. Let's just accept that it's been amicable. They're moving on. He's still staying in charge um, with produ- production. So yeah, he's still, exactly he's it, still heavily evolved in like getting his vision in there with another director taking the reins. Yeah. I don't see a problem with that. I, I, I only think it's a slight shame because um, I really like the first Doctor Strange but because it's very much kaleidoscopic Iron Man, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. But like, he brought some incredibly impressive visuals, but he, he definitely had to toe that uh, Marvel origin line of... A to B to C, yeah. basically an Iron Man film. I don't mean any disrespect from that. It's keeping it safe while introducing like more out there concepts that haven't been brought into the universe yet. The second film's usually where these things get a chance to play and be wild. They breathe, don't they? With yeah. Them? Uh, so it's a bit of a shame on that score, but then they can't mess this up. It's going to be like interesting as... And, and from, <laughs> from the rumour mill, and, and this is all it is, and, and part speculation, as it ties into... WandaVision, and it ties into the upcoming Blade film as well. Yeah, by opening up this more supernatural end of the of the Marvel universe. Do so, we, do we think the multiverse channels is how we get our X Men and Fantastic Four? Very possibly. I mean, I, I, I've already said that. Like, I think we're working towards Secret Wars in a few years. Mm-hmm. Let's see where it goes. Let's see what who gets tapped onto it, and let's let's give the project a chance because everyone's being dismissive and saying, "Well, Endgame was the end for me now with Marvel. I'm not touching them anymore." Really. Are you really going down that route that you're now going to sulk because some of your favourite characters aren't coming back and the franchise might go in a different direction whilst at the same time moaning that they clearly just wanted to be the same as before? Let's wait and see what the trailers are because, let's be honest, I was dismissive about the Black Widow movie until I saw that trailer and now I can't wait for that. Yeah. But if the end game's a good final chapter of a good book, it doesn't mean you can't read again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know why people Lord of the Rings, anyone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you imagine if we just went, no, Hobbit's enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll <run with> Rock. <laughs> and on the last bit of uh, Marvel news, uh, Christian Bale in talks for Thor Love and Thunder. Yes. We have no idea what character it is, but I am putting my cards on the table here and saying that I reckon he's going to be the voice actor and the motion capture actor. For Beta Ray Bale. Okay, Beta Ray Bale. Yeah, Beta Ray Bale. I'd love it. Um, my prime reasoning behind this is because Bale just seems a weird choice for a Taika Waititi kind of film. He seems a bit too serious and stoic an actor for that kind mm. of flippancy. But for a character like Beta Ray Bale, for that nobility and like look like you know really strong presence, that's what I'd imagine Bale to be perfectly representing. Mm. And so I'm calling it. I okay. might be wrong, but if I'm right, 
then hoo ha, microphone drop. He doesn't really do comic turns, does he? Like he, he gets sometimes more manic, I think dark funny... comic performances in odd things, but he's never he doesn't do this sort of I stuff. I think his funniest comic turn was when he uh, complained about the lighting rig on. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's still a thing, and it's still a meme even to this day. Yeah, we have no idea about uh, about who the villain is, so. I, you know, I'm open to that one. I think it's an interesting idea. And Christian Bale, he's, he's, he's a strange actor because I feel like I've grown up with him. I remember as a, mm. as a kid in Empire of the Sun and how he's grown as an actor and and everything that's sort of gone with it. You know, he is a serious turn. You, you do think about him as being a serious actor. So it'd be nice to see him have a little bit of fun. I think he's earned that as well. He's, he's, he's got a filmography that will speak for itself he doesn't have to keep doing these worthy dramas all the time to prove anything does he like have a bit of fun he's got nothing to prove no he, <laughs> no he could he could have fun for the rest of his career and still <laughs> yeah. on the warner brothers front batman started shooting now shooting in the uk isn't it yeah, yeah. which means that we're starting to get location paparazzi photography which, which is giving a hint me panic every time it's because <laughs> until you get that reveal of the suit and the batmobile and the villain you're scared of these spoilers, aren't you? These out of context. I remember Dark Knight Rises being played yeah. by this. So I'm, I'm going to take you guys back in time now to a time that maybe some of you won't even weren't even born or even remember, which is where we waited desperately for anything by Michael Keaton to appear yeah. in the first Batman movie. And I, I probably still have it in a loft somewhere. There was a, a, a photojournalist shot of uh, the bat suit, very grainy, long lens. And that was our first glimpse of the glimpse of the bat suit, and it was like, wow. Mm. I think we're in, we're kind of in that territory. We can't wait to see Robert Patterson as as Batman in full. But, you, you but but you want to wait until the the proper image. I remember yeah. when with the Michael Keaton shots that they released, and it was on. Uh, do you remember Starlog magazine? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was yeah. on. I was on the cover of Starlog, and it was uh, uh, Keaton against the Batmobile. It was the all all the publicity shots and. I had to go and buy that issue because I was so excited about seeing what Keaton looked like as Batman. It's a shame we don't. We'll, you can't recreate that. Really. No, no, the excitement's gone because it's going to get. Uh, it's going to come out. You know, they're going to do the the teaser trailer was released next week and that sort of thing. So, yeah, and you're going to get the. Uh, I, I I remember seeing it with Iron Man. You saw some some grainy production. Uh, uh, shots that had turned up. But I don't want to, but you can't escape it because all these like side scoop artists want to throw it in your face before you've had a chance to disseminate what you're looking at on your phone. <laughs> it's here. up to us, isn't it, to go, yeah. I don't want to click on that image, but I'm yet I'm drawn. Have you seen any of the images? It, it look, I, I've seen enough just, just to get a vibe because I'm, I'm as curious as the time setting as much as anything. Have you seen but... the penguin tease? No, I know, um, I know it's, Farrell's uh, in it. Yeah. it. They don't know whether the shot is of Farrell or one of his uh, body doubles for the scene that it, they managed to get a snap of. But um, it's like suit, umbrella, and a kind of bleach blonde hair. Interesting. Looks interesting. like an interesting way to go with it. What, how do you feel about, like, because he's the most recent addition to the cast, literally, like, just before they went into filming, it was announced. So how do you feel about him playing the role of it? Because initially it was... Uh, um, Josh Gard, wasn't Josh. it? I mean, that was the obvious route. And I'm always interested when you don't go the obvious route. Uh, uh, you know, Michael Keaton was definitely not the obvious route mm. for, for Batman. And he is my favourite Batman. He had a menace to him. Yeah. And he was almost the flip of the of the Joker. He mm. was the perfect yeah. flip to that. He's still my favourite Batman. So um, I think the obvious route is, you know, Josh Gad looks exactly like he does in the comic books. Or we, or we go with Colin Farrell, who can do menacing. 
it's an interesting take until the movie's out until you know we've seen him in the role and we've seen how he's going to play it you know it's, it becomes back into speculation dominoes again you know waiting to for the ones to fall he seems to always get defined by his deformities the penguin and obviously that was taken to the grotesque extreme in the Tim Burton film. Yeah. Uh, so everyone wants to think of, like, short, podgy, your DeVitos, your Josh Gads. No, no offence to any people. But, but to I'm go sure for, none was taken by <laughs> But to go for someone who almost could play Batman himself... Yeah. ...and give, make it more about the character, and, and you're going to have to give it more quirk and more lair to sell that, aren't you, rather than just let a nose do the talking of this mob boss... That's the perfect group for the well, penguin. I think the multiple seasons of um, Gotham show yeah. that you don't have to That's have a, like, a, a short, act, short, podgy actor playing yeah. it because he was so... First episode of that, like, that can't be the penguin. But the way he played it was like, no, 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 that's penguin. I like that. It's all down to the portrayal, isn't I it? I kind of like the weird Cockney gangster penguin of the Arkham games. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a bit of that, even. Um, get like a weird Peaky Blinder-esque but, like, penguin running around Gotham. It's one. Of, it's one of them. All the people who moan saying, "Oh well, he, he obviously won't be able to play it because how can you have an Irishman playing the Penguin? He shouldn't be like that. Shouldn't be rough edged." She was like, well, "Remember when uh, Joker was announced and everyone went, oh, this isn't going to be Joker. This doesn't look like Joker.' He's an Australian for goodness' and, sake." And uh, it turns <laughs> out that um, everyone praises it. So yeah. let's just see what Matt Reeves. You see the rest of the cast. You know, you got Robert Pattinson, you got Kravitz, you got yeah. Circus, Dano, Wright, Totoro, Lawson, Sarsgaard. What's not to love in there? Yeah. This is, but this is the, it's the most exciting but the most frustrating part of the whole process because everyone sees a blurred image of a single jigsaw <laughs> piece and starts... Uh, the speculation it. starts here, reviews a film that's not even out yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's it's both the best film in the world and the worst film in the world in everyone's mind. It's mind's. still in your head, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you're playing it out in your head. I, I, I just want Matt Reeves to do a Dark Knight detective. I yeah. don't think that's been done yet. That would be my Batman, and it's a Batman that has been touched upon on, it, on each incarnation to some extent. I think Michael Keaton's was that detective. Bits of Christian Bale work. Ben Affleck definitely had sort of the, the best yeah. bat suit. Combine all those and, and produce a Batman that's contemporary, but is the Dark Knight detective. That's the one thing that's been missing for me. Yeah, a thematically strong detective film will stand apart from all the others, from a heavily adapted character. and That's half the battle. Half the time. What area can you explore that we've not touched upon? That one, a key part of his, the character itself. Yep. It's only alluded to in other films. So do you think Warner Brothers have run um, the prospects for the Batman through the AI algorithm system then? You know what? I bet they have. And I think the AI uh, algorithm is, is probably based in some sort of secret lair. Because with those names involved then clearly they've got box office bank on there. If For those who don't know what this AI algorithm thing is, it was revealed this week that Warner Brothers are using a computer AI to predict box office models prior to a project being greenlit. The system uses analysis of territories, trends, social culture, as well as the bankable nature of the cast to try to predict a movie. Thoughts, guys? You know, there's, there's always been something in the history of filmmaking where they try to predict how a film will turn out. And usually when predictability goes onto the table, that's when we get the huge monstrous uh, box office duds where you've put Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman together in a film because they look bankable and you get Ishtar. I was listening to a thing about when the, remember the Ice Bucket Challenge? Yeah. yeah. All ad agencies wanted to recreate that and you couldn't because it was organic. It grew out of, 
out of something that was natural and it just took took the internet by storm and took people by storm. Great movies. You know, people who, who who make movies whose job it is to raise money, their job is to to make a product that sells and enough people buy it. Like anything else, like a new car, a new toy, a new device. But it always comes down to talent. But yeah, of course they're gonna be looking at whether they're using an algorithm or they're using monkeys in a room on it with typewriters, they're going to find a way to think this is how we make successful films. But evidence usually proves that when you try to make those movies, those are the ones that go wrong because they don't feel organic. It's tough, isn't it? Because if, if they're literally praying to this machine that's doing all the decision-making, obviously that's very Skynet and you, every film's going to have Batman in the title and have The Rock in it. <laughs> and that's terrifying for creativity and the future of the industry. But... If it's more just a tool they use as a reference point, like they have, like they have in sport now, like if you all watch Moneyball, there's a lot of stats and logistics of films that make fascinating analysis to help aid your decision making as a human. So there's still a human element to what you're greenlighting and stuff. So it could be they're ahead of the curve and it's a brilliant tool to help guide, or it could be a death nail that makes everything has to have an IP attached and all the other cynicisms we say about Hollywood anyway. It's tough without knowing the full context, but it's scary on face value. Two-word answer, Knives Out. Yep. Because that's a film that most studios wouldn't touch now. If they were using algorithms, you know, Daniel Craig, even though he acts his socks off in it, he's always going to be better known as Bond. Yeah. Great cast, you know, uh, Chris Evans, you would always associate with Captain America. Ryan Johnson, who, who got a kick in coming off Last Jedi. My film of the year. But if you, it depends what the criteria are. Because if you run, like, for instance, Ryan Johnson's name through your supercomputer for say, he's, he's always still a profit. Yeah. Yeah. So immediately they, he would say, he's doing it, do it. I mean, so my, what he wants to do might, that might give you that kick to go. My concern go. Is, is if they're going to go with the bankable nature of the names involved then you run the risk of creativity suffering yeah. over the names of the people involved in it. It depends how much they're using this AI thing as a guideline and how much they're actually paying attention to it and going, oh, well, we need to have the rock and everything. Do you? Rock and the Statham in the film together should have been much better than what we got last year, shouldn't it? Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Batman v Superman. Yeah. I, 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 On I, paper should have been a... Yeah. If I could name yeah, a film alg- that didn't algorithm. exist to make a billion pounds, I'd have said Batman and Superman to blurt it out of my mouth. And yeah. it didn't work. But And the best example is, you know, when the MCU started off, they got an actor who was pretty much dead to the world. He'd had years of drug and alcohol abuse. He'd even written himself off as, like, my career's over. An AI algorithm would have said, yeah, 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 dead in the water. Don't do this. Don't do this. I'm you need film. Tom Cruise. And look where we are now. Yeah. If Warners are seriously using this algorithm and paying attention to it and think that this is the be all end all to be able to make decisions of what's going to make bank, they're going the wrong route. Just on the flip, just to give it a, a bit of balance. What if they review a smaller time director, realise he's always turned a profit because of this AI, and back him more than they would otherwise, and, and finally discover talent and give more chances to people it's all in its use isn't it rather than the technology itself as long as there's an evil scientist working this (laughs) this piece of technology (laughs) i can live with that um let's move on to mission impossible 
So Macquarie's back. Yeah, that's interesting that they've now brought him back for three films. Yeah. That's in, that is safe hands, isn't it? So th- this is a franchise that when it was started up and Tom Cruise was like behind the scenes as executive producer, he always said each film would have a different feel because it would be a different director. They can do loads of creative ideas and whatever someone wants to bring to the table, they can do because they're just all little individual one-offs. But now this will be third in the run yeah. of a continuing story, which is drawing on threads that were layered down in earlier stories. It's a fascinating franchise. There's not many examples of, to, to go what you said to... Almost like starting a new franchise within the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we now, now we've got Nicholas Holt as being added to the cast for the next one. Again, he's one of those actors, like we're talking about Christian Bale, that I feel mm-hmm. I've grown up with from about a boy yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, uh, to now. Um, and he's had an interesting career. I, I really like the Mission Impossible films. They've become an event. Yeah. Mm. And they've become very clever. I mean, I love the TV series. I'm, I'm old enough to remember the TV series. But, uh, you know, it did start off with, with Brandy Palmer and with John Woo, and you went down this route. But now I think there's that, there's that great partnership between Macquarie and, and, and Tom Cruise, and clearly they, they, they work well together. I mean, this, the, the story that I heard of is, and I think it's public knowledge, is that they didn't really have a script on the last film. They literally made it up as they went along, <laughs> and they had an outline. And Macquarie is that kind of director off the hoof kind writer of writer that, that can make that work yeah. and he's got the trust of tom cruise and the thing about tom cruise is he never phones it in yeah, yeah. whatever film he's in if it's a, a dud like the mummy he never phones it in he gives it his all and he's made he's made an amazing franchise out of it and will continue for as long as he can continue if you'd have told me though after watching mission impossible 2 that he'd have six more variants and i'd be vaguely interested still it came alive for me with with three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When JJ when JJ Abrams yeah. took yeah. it over and made it like the TV series, mm. it was that was the the first two like that for me. It didn't have that thing that the TV series had, and then this the you know the rubber masks and you know they were the impossible mission force. I I, I assume it's very similar. I I jumped off on this one and didn't embark, but you guys may have. I imagine it's similar with the Fast and Furious franchise. That seems to me to very much redefine itself midway. <laughs> yeah, it organically grew. Didn't yeah, it? yeah. It couldn't started off as Point Break, and then you know it fell into you know we talked about Hobbs and Shaw, which was a, a spy movie for yeah. for want of mm. want of any definition and genre with a lot of sci fi aspects. Yeah, and, and now they're going well. down that sci fi aspect yeah. with it. You know, apparently. The ultimate goal is to have Fast and Furious in space. <laughs> <laughs> we wait and see. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the next Mission Impossible film. I think that they progressively got better as well yes. over the past few films, which is very rare for any franchise to get better. The last, I mean, okay, we had the Planet of the Apes trilogy, which got stronger and stronger yep. over the three films. All three are marvellous films, but yeah. it did get better. But Mission Impossible, who'd have thought so far into a franchise that you'd be clamouring for the next one? Yeah. And can't wait to see. And, you know, got names like Hayley Atwell's in the next one as well. Um, the, the future Mrs. Ford. <laughs> <laughs> she may not know it. Shea Wiggum and Pom, and I'm going to have problems pronouncing her surname. The girl Cle- who plays Mantis. Clementif. I'm going to say Clementif, and I'm sticking with it. I don't know whether it is. Pom, if you're listening, get in touch. Let us know your name. I, I added to the cast, obviously, with uh, Tom Cruise, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Simon Pegg, and Ving Rhames returning as the core group i'm wondering at which point in the franchise though cruise is going to start backing off and let another agent take control because we thought that though when uh, uh jeremy renner came in that, yeah. that he yeah. felt he looked, like 
he's going to be the guy who's going to take over from Cruz. And... I remember reading that the door's still open for him to return to the franchise at any point because it was all because of production schedules clashing that he couldn't get involved. Yeah, in he was in some film. other small other franchise. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was. Uh, something about avenging or something. Yeah. But it, I think it'd be great to see him come back at some point. I'm happy with Cruz just still delivering. And even on the last one, he kind of like showed strains of like, oh, I'm getting a bit old for this. But he still puts everything into it. And you still they love that character. For me, it's quite defined by Tom Cruise, though. So I feel like you you let it die and reboot rather than a legacy case. It's, it... it's interesting because what they did with the, the adaptation of the TV series is, you know, they didn't follow... Cruise wasn't playing Jim Phelps. No. They, they started afresh and they, you know, it was about the organisation as opposed to the characters from the TV show. You now, know? That, that was an interesting thing that they did with the first Mission Impossible film that, you know, Phelps was in there. Yeah. But was twisted to be the villain. Yes. Spoiler yeah. for anyone who's not watched a film which came out over two decades ago. But <laughs> And you think about it, two decades. Two decades of the, you know, there's not many franchises other than, say, Bond, which have had that. I do hate the term franchise. It's the most accurate term. It is, of <laughs> ongoing series. Yes. Let's yeah, go with ongoing yeah. series. Installments. That's uh, Mission Impossible. Can't wait to see where that goes. Anything else? In case you hadn't realised from the lack of news about it, the Oscars, which is in less than a month, because they're early February this year, instead of the late February, doesn't have a host. Mm. They're going with the same as what they did last year, where it's just like different actors and actresses come on and do like little skits and little bits and pieces before presenting awards, which kind of worked. It, I've not watched the Oscars for years. I, I, I watch it religiously every year. And I do like it when there's one host to keep one common theme of like tone and humour to it. Uh, yeah, I think in recent years, Jimmy Kimmel did one of the best jobs. Yeah, and, uh, Chris Kimmel. Rock was on fire, but I don't think they'll ever invite him back. No. But I didn't, not like last year, but I did feel that some of the ones coming out and doing little skits and pieces, they're clearly not cut out for that kind of work, and it felt a bit disjointed. I'm hoping to get it a bit better this year. I just don't want it to be a variety show. Yeah. It is a variety show, though. It's a, it's a, it's a shiny floor show, isn't it, really? Yeah. But it flowed well last year. There was it, it kept to its time frame, and it didn't feel unnecessarily padded out. Maybe this is the way that they should be going. Three of you, you have an opinion on Ricky Gervais's efforts at the Golden Globes. Ricky Gervais does what Ricky Gervais does. He deliberately they know turns what up they're to hiring. Them. Yeah, he deliberately turns up to antagonise. Yeah, everyone who's in that room, if anyone took offence from it, then they really shouldn't be going to the Globes. Yeah, they know. It's like a roast, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah what yeah, the yeah. Americans call a roast. I mean, have you seen the like reactions, Tom Hanks? Yeah, um, he keeps. Yeah, yeah. The cameras kept cutting to Tom Hanks when he was going through, like, Ricky Gervais was going through his little monologue speeches. And his reactions to all of his jokes are hilarious to watch. It's like distaste, shock, hilarity. <laughs> he yeah. covers the broad spectrum of emotions that you'd expect. And, I, I mean, I, he, he was probably completely loving the jokes because apparently he's got a wicked sense of humour. I mean, you, you see the stories of people who, like, have met, like, bumped into him somewhere and they accidentally left the phone yeah. on the table. And he's gone over to their table, picked up their phone, took a snap selfie, <laughs> and then put it back down and like just left it until he realised like three weeks later. like, what? <laughs> it's becoming like the Bill Murray sort of levels of uh, <laughs> legend, isn't it? So I've got to imagine, I've got an idea that like his reactions, he knew the camera was getting trained on him. So he was playing to it. But they're great to watch. I like your face. Uh, I, I, 
I've liked him since the start of his career. And uh, as you said, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Totally. A, a bit of irreverence for a, quite a pompous ceremony is not a bad thing. It just grounds it slightly, doesn't it? So uh, the news is going on quite a lot because we've uh, not really spoken much for the past few weeks. Yes. So let's just quickly, rapidly so, point out some of the hot news, which is bubbling under. So Knives Out, sequel being teased by Ryan Johnson. Wants to, to turn Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc into a modern day Poirot. Can't wait. Love to see what ensemble cast he gets together next time. Hans Zimmer scoring Bond. Yeah, it's coming quite late into Replacing the game. Replacing Dan Roma. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's possibly Dan Roma's only really done like low budget indie dramas and things like that. And, you know, this is going to be the last outing for Daniel Craig. It's a big blockbuster. Zimmer seems perfectly matched to it. Maybe Roma's work wasn't quite that like bombastic that they wanted from this film. So interesting. First time that they swapped composers on Bond. Halfway through production. Really? Did not know that. Never never happened at all in the history. There's always been a composer set to it from the day one through the whole production. Walking Dead movie. Scott Gimple's clarified that it's going to follow Rick's story and they're going to be able to do things that are different to the TV series. Uh, they'll be able to expand the world. Still hasn't said when the film's going to get made. It's all down do to... Do we think, uh, very quickly, do we think that the, the Walking Dead has, has marched on a little bit too long? I thought that when I stopped watching about five years ago... <laughs> Well, it's it's already had like the Fear the Walking Dead spin-off and it's got another spin-off coming on, so clearly they still think that there's bank in it. This was similar to when The Simpsons had a big movie. That I'd given up on Simpsons by the time the film had come out, but I couldn't wait to see it on the big screen. And I thought that they did a good job of making it a movie. So if they can do that with The Walking Dead and pique my interest and make it like a cinematic experience that you don't need to watch the TV show for, it's its own story, following one character in that setting, doing something different, I'm up for it. It's great if they could do what Kirkman did with it and just present an ending and do it in cinematic form. Yeah. Howling remake? Yeah, I love The Howling. Joe Dante's real sort of breakthrough film. It was it came on the heels of American Werewolf in London, which has always had the biggest plaudits, but yeah. the werewolves look fantastic on it. It's got Joe Dante's dry sense of humour that runs through it. I always thought it was open for a remake. I'm not, while I like it a great deal, I'm, I'm not beholden to it. I think there was a lot of faults in it. I think a remake works, and it's Andy Muschietti who's bringing it to uh, Netflix rather than the big screen. He was the director on It, so he's got his horror credentials, and I'm interested to see where that goes. And uh, there's been a passing of a great comedic writer. Book Henry. Now, Book Henry is one of those writers that, if you, he was a, he was a writer uh, and an actor as well, so you'll know him clearly from his, his, his most famous piece of work is, uh, is The Graduate. But he, he did one of my favourite all-time films, which is a Warren Beatty film called Heaven Can Wait, which he's in uh, oh, as well. love that film. It's an absolutely amazing Have film. I love it to I death. Know. It's fantastic. They tried to remake it a few years back, I think with Chris Rock. Yeah. Uh, and it just didn't oh, have God. that. I think I've watched that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bleach it from your mind. But uh, Book Henry was was a satirist. He, he created some, some great work. And there's not been enough news about him, really. It's really sad. And that, phew. Is the news. Is the news. There are, there are a lot of other bits and pieces out there, but we can't cover six weeks' worth of news in one show. So you'll just have to go and research online or just follow us on Twitter when we inevitably talk about things. And you can find us on Twitter at... Filmfile UK. Get in touch. Uh, if you've got any updates or any uh, any news that you want to present or just want to ramble on and chat with us, then we're open for that. So let's move on to the film releases. Now, there's a lot of film releases this month. And we're um, catching up. When we record this, we we record it on the day that 
1917 uh, opened and none of us have had a chance to see. Press shows were in London, unfortunately, so we've not had a chance to go down there. So uh, a couple of things that were missing in 1917, I think, is probably the most prominent, but we'll get to that hopefully in the next episode. Has anyone watched Cats? I have been asked an awful lot on radio <laughs> to talk about Cats and I think it's a, it's one of those interesting things. It's You, you mentioned that the algorithm that Warner Brothers... On paper, Cats should have been the film that that did remarkably well. Yeah, a hit uh, musical, a mus- a hit musical, great cast, and it's one of those films that uh, an audience has has not not been drawn to. It's done better in this country than it's done in the US, where mm. it's it was it's down by about seventy million. It's a ninety million dollar production. They spent one hundred and ten million on uh, marketing. I didn't see any marketing for this film. When you've got Taylor Swift in it, who's recorded a song yeah. for it, you think she'd be all over there. You think, why wasn't there press interviews? I think it's one of those amazing pieces of cinema where it just didn't work for so many different reasons. I don't think people liked it. It's not a particularly great stage show. So it's not a particularly great film. It's a, it's a, it's a story of vignettes based on poetry. There's there's a few follow-through lines, but it is, it, it's a, it's one of those films that, that come along every few years where it just misses the boat on every level and an audience detects that. They don't even know what it is sometimes. The fact that it had to come back into cinemas with with another cut, with an effects pass, just proves that this film really hasn't made it and, and the audience hasn't found it. So me and Scott were within a cinema. So obviously with all the re-editing and things that went on at the last minute and the patch notes came out... We pop, We both popped our head in. I only popped my head in because he told me I had to see this to believe it. <laughs> Scott? <laughs> I walked in and ran out. <laughs> <laughs> it's still... I'm not sure what they did with the patches, but uh, the, the CGI still looks dubious. There's still that whole complaint that um, it looks like they're the floating above the ground rather than touching it because the shadow effects are wrong. And Judy Dench's hand is still Judy Dench's hand with her wedding, wedding ring. The fact that she's um, she's wearing a fur coat, which is made well, that, out of her own skin. That, that always <laughs> horrified me. Or m- multiple cats have cat skin coats. And it's like, are they their ones? And there's... Uh, I, I, I popped my head in a, another scene in there. Because the one that which we both caught initially was finishing one song and one of the cats spirals up into the ceiling and then just explodes into a cloud of dust. Um, but I popped in another scene, which is when Rebel Wilson's character unzips her skin. And wears clothes underneath, and I was just horrified. Yeah, it's 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 one of those. It's, it's purely the imagination's gone into it. It just missed the boat on everything. But the stage show, I know the stage show is people in cat suits, and there's a there's a sort of ballet theatricalness to that. But it's still slight. The stage show is really slight as well. Yeah. But to to make the conscious decision to make these horrible humanoid cat, uncanny whatever they are. <laughs> I think that's killed it before it even started. A lot of well, it was met with with derision on the trailer alone, wasn't yeah. it? A lot of the customers that we're seeing coming in for it, I think a lot of it is morbid curiosity. Yeah, and people so. just like, how bad can this be? He's got an ironic viewership at this point. Yeah, let's move away from the horror of cats and let's move to uh, Jojo Rabbit. Audiences are cheering. Take away TD's Jojo Rabbit. It's pointless and stupid. Exactly. Wait, no. It's satirical brilliance. If there's one thing the Gestapo are known for, it's our sense of humor. Five stars. That's impossible. Believe it, brother. There's no other film quite like it. 
God help me. It's a dazzling achievement. It's time to burn some books! Jojo Rabbit. I meant we'd need dogs, not actual German shepherds. Now playing in select theaters. So Jojo Rabbit is the new film by Takiki Wakiki. <laughs> Taika Waititi? Taika Wakiki. <laughs> who I adore as a director, right from what we do in the shadows. I thought Hunt for the World of People was fantastic. Thor Ragnarok was a blast. Refreshing. And this is, is kind of his more grown-up film to a degree, but still contains all the elements and all the humour that you that you like from his film. Andy, do you want to run us through the plot? The film Jojo Rabbit is a haunting, emotional, powerful and extremely funny tale about a young boy in Nazi Germany towards the end of the war whose impressionable young mind has absorbed all the propaganda to such a degree that he even has Hitler as an imaginary friend. However, it's a childish Hitler because it's a child's imagination of what the Fuhrer should be. However, when he finds that there's a Jewish girl hiding in his house, everything he's been taught through the propaganda is thrown into question as he gets to know her. And that's it in a nutshell. It's, it's a really simple plot. Beautifully acted. Kudos to uh, Scarlett Johansson, who turned, in, who turned in the most mature performance I think she's done. I've not seen a marriage story yet. I thought she was, she was charming and, and just played this part uh, as the mother character. She was just great in it. Right. And there's a moment in the film where everything falls into line for that character. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's an odd, odd balance because I think the first half is, is riotously funny. And then the second half definitely sort of takes a turn. But it doesn't lose that slightly outlandish humour. And it takes a very, very serious subject and, and brings it through with this sort of childlike view of the world with the humour that, that we expect from this director and his his writing and, and produced a, a marvellous film. It would have made my film of the year for last year if I'd have seen it last year. I think with Scarlett Johansson, her scenes as his mother with just her and him as she's trying to protect him from the reality of the world, because it's towards the end of the war, so Germany basically know that they're losing. But her involvement within the war coming through and like her, her protecting him from the reality, some of the most powerful and emotional and heart-hitting moments in the film are within there, and I could have watched them on screen just on those scenes for hours. They were so marvellous together. And a lot of that is down to how great an actor is the 12-year-old Roman Griffin. Yeah, Roman he, Griffin he's, Davis. he's absolutely fantastic. He's got a beautiful face. Uh, an emotive face, and and for someone so young to carry a film, which he, d- he does for most of it, you know, the... his very first film role as well. Yeah, I thought I thought it, I thought it was marvelous. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful film. Has something to say, so it has a, a a poignancy to it, and also this idea that about about how you can be misled and how information is 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 powerful and can take you down down amazingly dreadful routes which change the world. Very relevant. Yeah, 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 not either. <laughs> yeah, but he, and he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from that within the film. Uh, yes, he, he makes a buffoon out of Hitler, but there are moments in it that, that I don't want to reveal because it's it's it's, it's truly heartbreaking as well. It, it's a, it's a, a unique film from a unique voice. I, I can't wait to see what he does next with with Thor: and Thunder because I think he's got a, a style, and I'm always he's going to be one of those filmmakers that I'm now I'm always going to be interested in what he does because he 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 brings a very sort of I know he's he's, uh, he's a New Zealander, but he brings that non-American humour style to it. Yeah. That that makes him unique and a unique voice. And well, that, it's quite it, dry and quirky because they don't always. Yeah, he doesn't try to be quirky. That's, that's obviously, but yeah, that's his style. Yeah. yeah, quirky is his style, and he and he brings that <laughs> to this film, uh, and deals with some um, some some huge subjects on it. 
And, uh, you know, let's not forget Sam Rockwell's turn in it, who's ridiculously funny, a ridiculous character, but yet amazingly poignant as the, well. The jaded Nazi who realises that it's all over and has just lost all care for the war. Yeah. But he's the camp He's the camp commander at the, um, the Hitler Youth camps. And he's marvellous in it because he's just so flippant with his, like... He's, he's, I've got to teach them this kind of aspect. He's made a career on those set of turns. Though, he does it, and, and then, and then there's a turn in in the film where he becomes one of the most key focal like realization moments for young Jojo to go. Oh, uh, without we're, we're avoiding spoilers we, here. We're desperately but yeah, avoiding he, he flips the character from being that like jokey, like nonchalance to like, oh wow, this is what he is. If you really want to see a film that hasn't gone through the uh, Warner Brothers Matrix system. Um, this is the, the film that sort of defines that. It's one of those films that comes along this, that's, that's got a, a unique voice to it, uh, a unique style to it. It's poignant, it's funny, it's witty, it's outrageous, it's touching. It, it ticks all the boxes. And as I said, a, a filmmaker for me that I can't wait to see what he does. I want to give a kudos as well to um, the He's 10 or 11 years old, but another first role. Uh, the kid who plays Yorkie, his best friend, Archie Yates has some of the best comic timing I have ever seen for a, a young naturalistic actor. performance as well. Absolutely perfect. It's it, he's he's got some of the most hilarious moments, and when you watch it, you'll just be chuckling whenever he's on screen. Such a great, a great cast. Yeah. I think Rebel Wilson's in there. I'm not a big fan of her. She's only in it fleetingly, thankfully, so she doesn't weigh does she, the film down. Does she rip her skin off? Though? She doesn't rip her skin off. Oh, no, thank goodness for that. Oof. But yeah, Taika Waititi himself playing um, Hitler, a role that could have been really distasteful, but it works because it's a childish interpretation of what the Fjorda would have been. And so it's very like whimsical, very flippant and very weirdly um, portrayed. And strangely does it again, as this film does, it, it shifts gears invisibly to, to, this, to the conclusion and, and the character becomes darker as we go through yep. with it. But I mean, yeah, I can't recommend I mean, it enough. The, the, the re- representation of Hitler that he's playing is what the Hitler youth would have been indoctrinated to and led to believe. Because despite what Mitchell and Webb did in their little one-off sketch, <laughs> the Nazis no, at no point would have turned around and gone, are we the baddies? Because they did. the German people didn't think that they were the baddies. They were led by the propaganda that yeah. the Jews were out to destroy them and everyone else out was against them. And this is what this film's portraying is like that there were innocents on the side of Germany who were just caught up in the propaganda, but it's how they come to terms with facing the reality of the world that they're in. Yeah, fantastic film. Can't recommend it enough. Forgive me if it's obvious, but I genuinely don't know. Why is it called Jojo Rabbit? It's explained in the film. It is. Yeah, okay. yeah it is explained in the film. It's a, it's a, it's, it's actually a, the first major plot point in, in the film oh, right, okay. that moves it all forward. <laughs> well, um, and when, when it comes up, I mean, this is Cinema Sins all over, that when it came up, at the back of my head went, roll credits. <laughs> 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 so we come to the point in the uh, in the program where we ask amongst ourselves, "What is your neat thing? Do you have a neat thing this week, Andy?" Yes, I do have a neat thing. Now, I was very negative about BritBox when it was first announced. Well, BritBox is a new streaming service f- from the UK, which will go international. Which will ha- it's a co-production between BBC, BBC and, and ITV, and also Channel Four are looking to get involved at some point, and it's going to be old shows. On a streaming service. Now, we get them for free at the moment on iPlayer and uh, ITV Catch-Up and things like that. But they've said that, like, there's going to be a 30-day limit on the stuff on the free streamings, and then they'll go into there. So I was sceptical and negative. Why should I pay for this? And then they put all of the episodes 
of the first eight Doctors from Doctor Who, and they've won me over. I'm currently doing a 30-day trial, and I think I might be extending it, because I, I don't think I can get all those episodes watched in the first 30 days. Which Doctor does that take us up to? McCoy? It takes you all the way up to McCoy and McGann. Wow. Oh, so it has the movie in there. It's got the movie in there as well. Oh, excellent. There's teething issues with the app. It sometimes doesn't stream. On the Android devices, it has a lot of problems. But if you go on the web streamer, it works fine. And they've not rolled out the app onto other devices yet. They've got, a, like, over the next three months, they're going to be rolling out to, like, consoles and TV sets, etc., etc. But it's definitely something to keep a lookout of because all the old shows from the BBC and from ITV that have been long gone, having access to them there in one place, yeah, I'm for that. Does it have a lot of any BBC funded films and stuff on it? Their aim is that they will. They will. Uh, they're aiming to like use it once they've set the whole. This is the old stuff. This is the. They're going to start putting like exclusive content onto there as well at some point as well. And talking of which, very quickly because uh, we we really rambled on today. Doctor Who returned uh, on New Year's New Year's Day. It. Yep. Thoughts so far? I'm a big fan. Last season, I absolutely adored Jodie's take on the character. And there were some good points and bad points of the last season, but you get this with every first season of New Doctor Who, that the first lot of episodes, it's trying to find its feet. The characters of the companions don't quite know who they all are, and it's working towards it. I think that they've nailed it. I hope so. There's still a few little niggles, but I'm loving that it's got references and throwbacks to early Doctor Who. You've got, I mean, it's out there now. Uh, the, The BBC themselves kept it secret quite well but if you've avoided the fact that the master's in it then you're not that much of a fan of Doctor Who because you're not up to date with it they brought him back and already he's shrinking people which is a proper throwback to classic yeah each episode is finishing with a cliffhanger like the old serialised versions of Who used to do and it looks like he's going to be weaving uh, problems on Gallifrey and the decline of the Time Lords into this series as well there's loads of little hint reveals on the coming this series that it's just like, ooh, is that a different TARDIS? But that's not the Masters one, and it's not, hey, what, is this another, is the Rani coming back? Maybe the Corsair? Who knows? Mm. I'm excited for who. I've got to agree that Jodie Whittaker is, it, it's, it, it's not only a fabulous performance, but she, she's done that very clever thing, and I think it's more of her performance than in the writing, that, that we are watching Doctor Who. We're not watching... A, a lady doctor. We're watching Doctor Who. Yeah. We're watching the same character we've watched for nearly 50 odd years. And it's still Doctor Who, even though it's Jodie Whittaker playing it. And I think she's fan- fantastic. She brings elements of previous doctors into it. There's a touch of Patrick Troughton about her, uh, Sylvester McCoy, and I made it her own as well. She'll be a tough act to follow. But you, we say that about most doctors. Yeah. She'll be a, 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 always a tough act to follow because they. The good doctors that we remember and we like, they bring so much to it and they bring something about themselves into it. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I, I, I struggled a bit with the last season. I, I, fe- I felt it was going a bit too bouncy and quirky, for <laughs> lack of better yeah, more critical terms. Um, but I, I always like Doctor Who best when it's slow burning a bit of a, a long tease in a serialised form and when... Obviously, the Doctor's a very bouncy and funny and engaging character, but when it's hinting at something darker, it's always what I enjoy. So the end of that second episode and what it might lead into, I think that's, that'll be a real test for, of Jodie Whittaker for me, and that, that'll that be probably how I start elevating her up my Doctor's list that we all have. Because at the minute, she's 
she's fine. I, I think she's. I, I think it's admirable what she's done in light of the writing because I, I don't think she's been given enough. I think they just. I think Capaldi suffered with that until yeah. the end of Moffat's run, and then yeah. the last season, he had he had so much more to do, and we think a lot of wasted opportunity for an actor as good as Capaldi. Mm. He had more to do in the, those the last couple of episodes were fantastic. Yeah. And you wish that, that that quality had been across the entire series. Wicketch can be funny whilst explaining things to three Yorkshire people. I just want to see more of a range. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's not her. It's, it's, it's the writing, isn't it? Now, I had the pleasure of uh, chatting to Chibnall last year. So I, I got my photo with him. And while I was having the photo took with him, I was just saying, oh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Doctor Who. Tom Baker's always been my doctor. And his words to me was like, mine too. And you're going to see a lot of Tom Bakerisms coming into like the ideas that I've got, and I think we're starting to see them now. We're starting to see that, like, Pertwee to Baker era getting reflected in where the stories are going. Like I say, classic master techniques coming in. Maybe still influenced by the more modern, like, hyperactive Doctor, but I just love the references back to the old devices, the old methods. Mm. Can't wait to see how it goes. Scott, anything? more of a brag, this, but I got a lovely uh, Lego replica 1989 Batmobile. The classic Batmobile for oh. me. Even though I would always go for the Adam West version, the classic Batmobile for me they're, is the They're the big one. two, aren't they? Um, I've not, I'm not building it because I'm in the process of moving, but what a fantastic bit of kit. I love a good film nerdy Lego set. And just when you get to the end, there's a bit missing. <laughs> you have to substitute a red brick in the middle of your black back <laughs> no mine too was a Christmas present uh, I've been playing I, I'm not a big game player um, when it comes to video games I'll have one or two a year the last thing I played was Red Dead Redemption which I loved took me about five months to play it but when I get involved in a game I thoroughly enjoy it I'm really looking forward to The Last of Us Part 2 because The Last of Us is my all time favourite game on a similar theme, I got uh, a game called Days Gone, which got re- really poor reviews. And it is The Last of Us, the B-movie version. If uh, The Last of Us is the the accolade of being, for me, the, the best video game ever made, then Days Gone is, is the B-movie, slightly cheaper knockoff. But I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Future apocalypse, near future, there's been some sort of plague uh, which has turned... Uh, people into what's called freakers so it's a bit like i am legend it's got that and this the, your main character deke is a is a biker and you get to ride around this open world game knocking off uh, the the infected as well as uh, raiding other camps and you know what it's pretty mindless but i'm thoroughly enjoying it and i'm really getting to the point of going oh i've got omer early tonight i might just do an hour before the family arrive in I do love when you find like one game that you just want to find any time that you can just to put a bit more into it. Yeah, hopefully it's not one with long cutscenes that you can't skip because if you need to leave the room for any reason, it's like, at least let me pause. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. the reviews for this were really poor and and but it just appealed to me. I've thoroughly had a great time playing it. I'm, I don't know how far in I am. I'm not the most dedicated gamer in the world, but when I've, I find a game that I enjoy, I'd rather just focus on that. I'll add that onto my radar once I've finished the Resident Evil 2 remake. Then. And that's it for the film file for this week. Hopefully we'll see you again in the next uh, short time. Well, hopefully we'll have some new reviews and some more news for you. But for now, keep watching this, guys. I don't know if it's just me, but when my voice is a bit more raspy, I always go, 
Well, I've got a cool voice today. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you, you start enjoying every sentence you say. You start pretending you're Mariella Frostrup. <laughs> yeah. I will find you and I will kill you. I don't remember Mariella Frostrup saying that. Yeah, she does. The book programme's changed. Wow. 